everyone, and welcome to Cohen Esri's Apartment Investing Podcast. My name is Lydia Kincaid, and I am Managing Director for two of Cohen Esri's Programmatic Market Rate Funds, CEAI Fund 23 and CEAI Fund 24. Um, I'll be moderating our discussions about investing in the real estate industry alongside Lee Harris, who is President and CEO of Cohen Esri, and Ryan Huffman, who is Cohen Esri's Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Um, during this podcast series, we'll explore a variety of topics within real estate investing, and we'll be sharing real-life examples of how our investment strategy has played out. So to kick things off, Lee, could you share a little bit about your history with Cohen Esri and our apartment acquisition activities over the years? Sure. Thanks, Lydia. Uh, I started with Cohen Esri in 1975. The company began in 1970, so I've been around since pretty much the beginning, and uh, I, I was figuring out the other day uh, over the last several decades uh, prior to our programmatic uh, apartment investing strategy uh, we had been buying one-off apartment uh, complexes uh, totaling 20 market rate assets and about 2600 units uh, and then over the years we produced very nice returns for many third-party clients uh, we worked for banks savings and loan associations real estate investment trusts, insurance companies, pension funds, and various private partnerships, uh, and have become widely known for our expertise in turning around troubled assets, as well as creating value for stabilized properties. Uh, but in 2006, we really did want to become much more programmatic about buying apartments. Uh, and so uh, we launched Coinage Apartment Investors, uh, LLC, which is our uh, market rate acquisition unit. Uh, we contributed a little bit of capital. We hired uh, some acquisition specialists to find product. And we spent about 11 months looking for product that fit our parameters. And the bright idea we had that the time was right was wrong. Uh, it just was too frothy at that point in time. And we just couldn't get traction. So we, uh, we put the acquisition unit on the shelf. And then the world came to an end in 2008 and 2009 with the Great Recession. And uh, thereafter, it really was time to acquire apartments. Uh, we first looked within our own portfolio and focused on several affordable properties that could be converted to market rate. We had actually developed a couple of them uh, and in several cases had been brought in as a replacement general partner for assets that were uh, underperforming in the tax credit arena, and we had tax credit expertise. Uh, and so we thought, well, let's just take a look at some of these assets that we already uh, know. And uh, we actually closed our first two purchases on December 31st, 2010, an asset in St. Louis uh, and another asset in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. We went on to close a total of 10 assets, totaling about 1,300 units from 2011 through 2013. And I guess in retrospect, I would call this Cohen Esri Apartment Investors version 1.0. Now, what does that mean? Well, it was country club money uh, for our equity. Uh, we made some, some level of physical improvement to the properties. We converted several of them from the tax credit affordable arena into market rate. Uh, the largest property was 214 units and the average size is about 130 units. So a bit on the smaller side. 
but we've had outstanding results with that portfolio, most of which has now already been sold. Uh, the overall weighted internal rate of return for that portfolio, including those sales, as well as a couple of refinancings, was about 27.5%. So a very strong performance. And, and I think it validated our belief that we could become more programmatic effectively in apartment investing. Thanks, Lee. And Ryan, maybe you can talk about the next iteration, CEAI 2.0. Yeah, version 2.0, which is our, our current strategy. So, you know, piggybacking on what Lee said, you know, coming out of version 1.0, we started getting far more strategic and, and far more programmatic and almost institutional thinking and in how we approached our real estate investing. And so that started for us with how to determine location and and leave you and I have talked for years about its location 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 that's all you hear about in real estate and you know here's how we handle that so we took the top 100 markets in the country and and first threw out anything that we do not do and and I have said countless times that in this business it's important to know what you do do and it's just as important to know what you do not do <clears throat> so we don't do the West Coast. Um, we don't get California regulation. We're Midwest operating firm. It's just not something that we put resources into understanding. We don't play in the Northeast because we don't understand, you know, general New York rent control and, and paying two caps for real estate or the DC Beltway. And so if you throw out those two areas of the top 100 markets, believe it or not, there's 49 of the top 100 markets in those areas. And that leaves us with 51. Then we sit down with our data set and we look at three main factors. We look at class B rent growth, job growth, and population growth in those markets. Looking back five years and forward five years and, and rank the markets. And you have to meet the top 60% of the markets in that stratification um, in at least two of the three categories. And so that leaves us with about 15 markets that meet three of three and about 16 markets that meet two of three. So you're talking Midwest and Southeast, you know, examples of markets are going to be the Denver's uh, Kansas city is in the mix. The four Texas markets, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas, go over into Atlanta, down into Jacksonville, Florida, Orlando, and Tampa swing up into the Carolinas, Raleigh and Charlotte, um, into the Rust Belt where you've got uh, Columbus, Nashville, Memphis, um, and up into Minneapolis. And that's just examples of, of where we look to play. Um, once we figure out the locations, that's where our, our platform is focused. It, it allows us to sift through piles and piles of deals and really narrow down where we want to be um, and how we want to play. Within each of those markets, we actually have a completely separate set of criteria um, of where we want to play. We look at incomes in a one, three, and five mile radius. Those have to be 50,000 and higher and growing. We look at school district rankings. We look at crime statistics, um, you know, general growth parameters to see where in those markets we want to play. And in each market I just named, we have very specific areas where we'll go and specific areas where we again won't go. Um, and so that's really focused our platform. We do that review every December to set the tone for the following year. So example, December of 20, we did that to set our, our targets for 2021. You don't see a lot of movement, but you do see some depending on how the growth curves are running, um, particularly with COVID being a factor. Some of those markets, obviously we all know were hit maybe harder than others. 
So you do see some shifting in the markets. Um, we also moved our equity into a much bigger pool. We now have institutional equity, uh, family office equity. We have an equity partner out of New York. Um, we have an equity partner out of Chicago that are very large funds, very value driven. Um, and so obviously that increases our, our data collection and our need to really focus on the strategy. Strategy is, is our bread and butter is, is fairly simple. It's value add. Um, we do a three to $8,000 unit general renovation to get anywhere from 50 to $250 rent lift, um, targeting, you know, 200 units and greater with the sweet spot being 350, um, in any of those, of those various markets. And, you know, we have a, a series of gauntlets, the deals have to run through. We generally look at 50 to 60 deals a week to find two or three that look interesting, meaning they fit our age vintage, they fit our size vintage. Um, and then we run them through the gauntlet, right? We talked about the first gauntlet, which is, you know, school districts and income areas. And, and of that, of 10, we think are interesting. Two or three will clear the first hurdle and in our underwriting. And then we're really getting into investment strategy. And so we have about a dozen metrics that we look at when we underwrite, uh, cap rates in and out. We look at price points per pound. That's what we are more concerned about. So the, the actual basis of the deal um, has to be 25, 30% below new construction uh, on the in and the out forecast. Um, we look at cash on cash return. We generally are targeting five to 7% year one. We view cash flow as a mitigant against any downside risk. Um, we look at, at an older metric called yield on cost, which that metric is our stabilized after renovation NOI against total costing. That's got to generally be kind of 575 and higher. Um, and then we look at our IRR and the IRR target is kind of mid teens with an equity multiple of anywhere from a one seven and higher. So got to hit all the targets to get to underwriting. So out of 10, we underwrite one or two are going to make it into offer. And right now out of 25, we bid on 35, we bid on, we actually get one. So it's a high numbers game, high volume game. Um, but we have a box and it's been successful over the 50 years. Apartment demand is is generally extremely high and is forecasted to be that way. You know, Lee, you've done some numbers. We've all looked, you know, the boomer generation and the millennial generation. Boomers don't want to own their houses anymore. They want to be footloose and fancy free. They want to be near shops and restaurants. Um, and the millennial generation doesn't yet want the responsibility of homes and wants the same thing. So that cohort, those two cohorts are adding, you know, four million folks to the population center every year, that's a million renters. And so the industry needs to produce, you know, plus 400,000 of units to keep up with demand. And Lee, we're producing what, about 200, 250. So there's a huge supply demand gap for apartment living. Um, and, and remember these are apartment living dwellers of choice now. So they're choosing to rent and therefore they'll pay for the amenity set they want. Um, COVID has, of course, caused, you know, concern across the industry. I would tell you that overall, the industry is doing well during COVID. We, our general strategy had been, you know, educate and, and lead with compassion. Lead with compassion was my mantra through the entire thing. We really educated our renters on, you know, things like, hey, we, we still have to pay the staff. We still have to pay the trash company. We still have to pay the utilities. You know, your home and we're providing the home. Help us keep everybody employed. And, Really, that led us to, you know, 3% delinquency rates through most of the pandemic and 95% occupancy. Our actual rent roll went up over $2 million during that pandemic. So, 
that strategy really played out, I think, well to put defensive parameters around around the portfolio. Um, And we continue to acquire. I mean, since version 2.0 started, we've acquired 16 assets, 5,334 units um, with an average size of 333. So talking about our strategy earlier, you can see we're running right down the fairway. Our smallest property is 174 units in Georgia. Our largest property is 612 units in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, you know, the portfolio just has really performed it, it well and, and we think is well positioned in this class B space and value add. With each asset, we have a disposition strategy. You'll kind of hear about that on this, on this uh, podcast throughout time because we're going to give some specific examples. But when it comes time to look at the disposition, the way we've modeled the transactions are usually somewhere between a five and a 10 year hold, depends on the equity partner and depends on the strategy with the asset. Um, so what we do when, when it comes time, two and a half years is about what it takes to get our value add done because we do it on the turn. We'll go out and we'll solicit broker opinions of value, see where we're sitting. Um, we'll run a refinance scenario and hold. We'll run a recapitalization scenario with a new investment strategy. And of those three prongs, we will make a recommendation to the partners, show them each one, tell them why we're recommending. Um, And if it's a sale, then it's a sale transaction. And that's the most successful execution for the investor. Um, We just had our first closing in version 2.0. It's it generated a plus 26% return for our our main limited partner, um, a plus 21, almost 22 for the fund investors um, of of our fund itself. So it was it was an overall good execution on on the part of, of us, and we're going to get into that deal in more depth in a future podcast. So that's just some teasers of of 2.0 CEAI. Thanks, Ryan. You know, I might add as well uh, to the macro discussion. Uh, in addition to boomers, uh, my generation, uh, we're looking to uh, get rid of the houses and be a bit more mobile. Uh, and you mentioned millennials, but there's another cohort, which is even bigger as a generation, and that's Gen Z, or we now call them Zoomers. Um, and that's, Zoomers. that's Zoomers. Yeah, those are, are we the, all now? Those that's, are the, a Lee, that's a Lee Zinger, you know. Those, those are the young, younger folks that are normally in the apartment uh, rental uh, cohort that are 18 to 20 and 24, 25 years old now. Uh, and that generation is, I believe, I saw a statistic pushing 90 million, uh, where the, the boomer and the millennial generations are in the 70s, uh, 70 million plus. Uh, so there's just this massive, massive demand. I've never seen this in the 46 years I've been been in this industry. I've never seen this level of demand and the inability of this industry to uh, to keep pace. So. Uh, anyway, I thought I might tag along uh, on your comments. Lydia, as a fund manager, uh, you might explain a bit more about Ryan's reference to the co-investment uh, funding mechanism and how it works. Sure. And this, this programmatic co-investment piece um, came out of our need to scale. So I mean, Ryan mentioned acquiring properties um, at a faster pace and starting to build this nice portfolio. Well, the co-investment piece is what helps enable us to do that. Um, For each property that we acquire, we have a primary equity provider, and that is typically an institutional investor. Ryan mentioned that as well. Um, But there's a co-investment requirement 
of about 10 to 15 percent of the equity amount. And that's where our fund comes into play. Um, so our fund investors who are accredited investors only, they participate um, at varying levels in ownership of those properties that we acquire. Um, fund 23 was launched in 2016. Um, and that fund is now closed. We have 13 assets. Well, now 12 with the sale of this most recent um, deal that we'll talk about later. Um, but Fund 24 has already been launched and we already have five properties in that fund as well. We expect that to be about double the size of Fund 23 at about 26 and a half million in equity um, and 16 to 18 properties to fit into that fund. Um, and our goal is that after five years of owning a property that those properties start being sold, or maybe they are packaged together in a portfolio alongside like properties in that area that we own. So over time, um, investors in those funds should start seeing a steady stream of dispositions um, with nice positive returns coming back to our fund investors. Um, part of our fund management activities include providing quarterly reports and annual reports, which are comprehensive in nature. Um, we provide more than just occupancy and financial information, but we go into pretty deep depth about what's going well and also what's not going so well. Um, I feel like we're pretty transparent with our investors when it comes to sharing what we're working on um, and ways that maybe our goals haven't quite been met yet. I think our investors really appreciate that. Um, but we do have several repeat investors and we always love to see that and investors enjoy investing with us and have had a positive experience. And that's partially, again, why we launched Fund 24 as a new programmatic fund for our fund investors. Um, specifically, I mentioned accredited investors is the requirement in order to invest with us. And we use the SEC definition of that, which there are two main requirements for individuals um, from an annual income perspective. As an individual, um, you must have 200,000 in income for three years or 300,000 for a couple, um, alternatively a million dollars plus um, in net worth in order to invest in the fund. But that at a high level is what we're doing on the fund side of things. Um, and throughout this series, we'll be going into more detail about almost everything you heard about today. In the very next episode, uh, we will go into those details about our acquisitions and discussing specifically how we found the property, how we vetted it, what the renovation and improvement strategy was, and then what happened as a result of all that. So thanks for staying tuned, and we look forward to you participating with us again in the future. Thank you all.